Well, good morning. How is everybody today? You're awake. That's good. Absolutely. We're awake. We're alive. We get to be together today. Got out of bed. We're moving. So. Well, I'm glad to see everybody. And, and uh, somebody asked me, are we going to get into Job this week? I said, yes. We're going we're gonna to get into Job. And um, I've got just a minute or so, but... <clears throat> You know, in in thinking about what book in particular did I want to did I want to start with? There, there's all kinds. There's there, there's there's many that we could, you know, some in the New Testament, some in the Old Testament. Um, Ecclesiastes, by the way, is another fascinating book if you've ever got into the book and and again wrestled with um, Solomon. And what he says. Um, He's got some theology that will make you pause and and think about it. And I thought about Ecclesiastes. Um, That's always always an interesting one. Um, You know, the Proverbs. You know, now the Proverbs kind of have a story before we get into those little concise sayings. Um, and, and I thought about that. Um, I also thought about one of the Gospels. But the more I thought about it, I said, oh, it's Job. It's, it's Job, right? Job is, um, Job is a story that has fascinated Jews, Gentiles, Christians, Orthodox Jews, scholars for centuries. So here's what I thought we would do. Very first thing is... Let's together kind of tell the story. Okay? So, what, what do you know about Job? How does it begin? What's happening? What takes place? So, just, it, so that at least we will kind of know the, the broad picture. Okay? Tell me about Job. He was very well off. Lots of family. Lots of land. Okay? He's a righteous man. We're going to look at that in a moment. So he's a righteous man, got a lot of stuff. Question is, is there a correlation between the two? Is there a correlation between righteous, blameless, and all this stuff? What's that? It's what's being tested. I'm going to show you in the Hebrew text that there's even a little bit of leaning in that direction by the way that it's worded. What else do we know about Job? So we got a righteous man, wealthy. What's that? A large family. He offers sacrifices for him, just in case. Just in case somebody messes up. That's right. What else? He suffered greatly, but did not complain. Now, who told you that? Huh? We're going to find out. Right? Because James, the author of James, tells us what about Job? Job was a patient. Was he? Was he? He just didn't say anything for a while. I think you're right. For a while, yeah, it was 
He was going okay. I think he got to a breaking point. So he's suffering. Why does he suffer? <laughs> the million dollar question. Why does he suffer? How did that happen? So there's this heavenly conversation that takes place that Job is unaware of. First chapter or so, we go heaven, earth, heaven, earth, heaven, earth, heaven, earth. Right? Back and forth, back and forth. So there's a lot of behind the scenes activity that's going on that Job nor his friends are aware of. Yes, sir. In the middle. So he was. Yeah, he, he, he stood out a little too much, huh? Maybe. Um, so then what happens? He's suffering. He has some friends show up. What do you. What do you. Do you know much about what they say to him? Yeah, what have you done? Your fault. What do they tell him he needs to do? And his wife tells him to, to, to curse God and die. His friends tell him you need to repent. Right? Of what? Did he need to repent? Here's a great question we'll get to at the end. Does Job repent? Um, so then, okay, God shows up, right? All these friends, your fault, you need to repent, come on, what's wrong with you? Because you see, and we'll talk a little bit about this, um, there's, a, there's a theology that goes, that was, that was very prominent at that time, and that is, do good, blessings, wicked, cursings, suffering. Job, you're suffering. There can only be one conclusion. You've done something wrong. God's getting you. Repent. He said, I've done nothing wrong. I've done nothing wrong. No, you have. Job, and we'll talk about this. Job then starts to get a little bit frustrated with this whole process. And his challenge is basically, I want a court case with God. Pretty bold. Pretty much at the end of his rope. God shows up. At the end. Anybody know kind of what God said or did? or Who's going to judge me? What is it? He fussed it, Job. Oh, he shamed him. Yeah, he got a lot of questions. Does God ever answer the questions that Job has? For the most part, he just asks a lot 
of questions on top of Job's questions. But the question of the questions is, did he answer the question? And and we'll look at that. Because here's what we're going to do. As much as we can, we're going to read every word that the friends say and that Job says um, uh, toward God and, and the questions that God asked Job. At the very end of the story, now what happens? The very end. He gets it all back plus some, right? Yay, it's... Woo! Got more. The question is, though, um, was that worth it? Would you be willing to lose everything that you have, children, family, understanding that God will say, well, I'll give it back. I'll give you, I'll give you new ones at the end. No, he didn't know that. Um, good question. Is, is that a is that a, um, an example of when we surrender everything to God? Possibly, there might be some there might be some application there. Possibly. That was Paul. Paul Meyer, M Y E R S. For those who are listening. <laughs> I think we'll move on. It's true. Now, am I going the... Now, this goes the other way. Here's some quotes on this book that I thought were, were pretty good. Thomas Carlyle says, It's the greatest thing ever written with pen. There is nothing, I think, written in the Bible or out of it of equal merit. I mean, it is... It is good. Um, Hebrew book of Job is by all accounts an exquisite piece of literary art that has its rightful place among the most outstanding compositions in world literature. It's a work of remarkable theological richness, passion, and honesty, yet it is also widely recognized as an immensely difficult text to understand. I would say amen to that. And I think I have one more. <clears throat> I love this. Job is the struggle for the last truth about God. And, and I think what uh, is implied here is, is, is this struggle to get every ounce of truth about God that we can by going through the story and by asking the questions and by putting ourselves in the story. Um, Asking questions about this world, um, about God, about relationships, about how things work, work, and about why they work and why they turn out certain ways. And then what about my life? And how am I supposed to respond? And where is God in this? See, again, one of the questions is, what prompted God to give back everything that basically had been taken from Him? Who was in the wrong? And we'll talk about that.
We will get in here and, and, and get down in the mud and the dirt and we'll think through these things and we'll ask questions about the text. Comments, questions? <clears throat> what would you say then is the, um, what is the message of Job? What is the, what's the overarching, overriding theme of Job that is trying to teach us? What would you say about that? Patience. Yeah, gotta have it. All right, what else? A perspective of who God is, and and our relationship to God. Yes, I think that's part of it. What else? What does it teach us about suffering? Yeah, see, that's... It does. When we're suffering, it's very easy to rely on God. When everything is going great, we think, well, we don't say it, but our attitude says, we can do this by ourselves. If I need you, I'll Yeah, you're right. Suffering kind of um, quickly eliminates all of the things that are not critically important in our lives. It, it, it does do that. Does it answer the question of the innocent suffering? That's a great question in and of itself. Is 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 Job? Um, is it about the moral order of the universe, morality, how God functions in a in this moral universe? It might be, but that also leads to some questions. Why did God allow this? What are we to learn from that? So there's all kinds of things that we'll deal with, okay? So, here we go. From the Hebrew text. If you were a Hebrew student, this is what it would sound like. To you as you read it. Now again, remember this. Whenever you translate from one language to another, you're going to lose a lot of nuances. You're going to lose a lot of... Uh, you'll lose a lot of um, some of the irony in this book. Some of the humor in this book. Um, some of the things that, that I think it's set up a certain way in order to communicate a message. Okay? So this is what it would sound like. A man there was from the land of Uz. Job was his name. And he was blameless and upright. And he feared Elohim. And he shunned evil. And so, he had seven sons and three daughters. And as a result, he owned 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 oxen and 500 donkeys. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. So the first question is, what am I hearing here? What am I listening to? What is the author doing? What is he trying to get me to understand just in the very beginning? A man there was from the land of us. His name um, was Job. Now, here's what I want to point out. And, and I mentioned this a minute ago. If you look at the second paragraph, and if you look at and I just put in, in the parentheses, as a result... 
It sounds like the author is leading us to think that because this man was blameless and righteous and upright and he shunned evil, that he was wealthy, that he had a lot of stuff. So that would be the first question that as you were reading the text in the original language that you would say, whoa, whoa, okay, hang on here. Let's think this through. Is that the result? Is that, is that my theology? Is that what I believe? Is that the way that it works in this world? By the way, it's what Job's three friends believe. If you're righteous... Honor God, blameless, blessings. It's blessings. If not, punishment. And again, you're receiving punishment, Job, according to the three friends. Therefore, you need to confess what you've done wrong. Hopefully God will forgive you and He will restore what you have been what has been taken from you. And so we're led then to sort of um, to sort of think in that direction. We're, we're, we're kind of pushed by the text to consider that theology. And the question is, is that my theology? Is that what I really believe? Oh God, why is this happening to me? Oh God, I, 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 I change. I turn my life around. Stop punishing me and start blessing me. What have I done wrong? What is, it that, what is it that I've done that God sits up on high and goes, that is wrong and I'm about to zap you? Right? And if we're honest, let me say it this way then. If I'm honest, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I tend to lean in that direction. Anybody else? Am I the only one? Thank you. Two others. Thank you. Good. We'll start our own small group. Our own. Try to work our way through this. Anybody notice anything interesting about his possessions? Anybody doing any arithmetic? I see some heads. What, what, what are you noticing here? All right. Seven sons and three daughters. Equals how many how many animals plus equals ten thousand. How many of the other animals plus what's the author saying to us? You're exactly right. Exactly right. Now again, now here's 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 what you got to do with these texts. We read the text. Okay, he's got seven sons and three daughters. Got it. Seven thousand, three thousand. That's a lot. Five hundred and five hundred is a lot. Read it. You can stay right there, or you can read that. Go. That's a lot. But in addition to being a lot, what's the author trying to say to us? Numerology is throughout the Old Testament. 
Everybody understand what numerology is? Break that word down. Numerology. What is it? What is that? The science of or the study of ology. The study of numbers. Um, if I put up the number 40, what? Quickly, what comes to mind? Raining 40 days and 40 nights. They tend to be out in the elements for 40s. What? Uh, yeah, it not could be. But, but what is a result often of the aftermath of the 40? Good things. If I say 12 tribes, apostles, yeah. Um, in numerology, 12 often represents God's got a plan. With the twelve tribes, God had this plan from, 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 from the very beginning. Revelation, by the way, is just packed. It's loaded with numerology that communicates a message. Right? I'll give you a fascinating one real quick. <clears throat> 144,000 are listed in Revelation. Right, the hundred and forty-four thousand, and yeah, that's a that's a big number. But if you take that number only literally, there's how many billions of people on the earth right now? Six, seven? Are we climbing six or seven billion? Put then add all the people that have ever lived on this planet since the time that God began to create. Let's let's just double that. Let's say twelve billion. There's only one hundred and forty-four thousand going to make it. We have better odds of winning the billion dollar lottery next week than we do of making it into the kingdom of God. So, you see, it's not how you read it. It's not how you read it. 144 is 12 squared. They quite, they, they square numbers quite often. You got 12 squared. Right? God's plan. God's plan to the ultimate. God's ultimate plan. Right? Now, but here's the deal. There is, there is in numerology the number 1,000. And by the way, when we go through Revelation, we'll, we'll, we'll go back to this. 1,000 is, in numerology, the largest number known to humans. Now, they could count higher than 1,000, but it stood for, by the way, it was their symbol that ours looks like this. Right? So nobody would say, count to infinity. No, you can't. That's the largest possible number, even though it, can, it keeps going, but it's the largest number known to humans. And so, in Revelation, you see, when you use the number 144,000, it's not this little bitty snippet of people that are going to make it. It is God's ultimate plan to the largest number known to human beings. And if you just would pay attention to the throne room as you read through Revelation... It becomes myriads of myriads of myriads of myriads of people and angels and all nations and all peoples are around the throne room of God. How did we miss that? Now, why were we doing Oh, because of our numbers. So there's a message here. There's a message here. This is a wealthy man. But his stuff adds up to multiples of ten. Guess what? We're not sure exactly what the author is trying to communicate here because 10 is not necessarily a number that is played with quite a bit in Jewish numerology. 
be saying something to us. It could be that what he's just trying to show is, yeah, this man is good. This man is just this side, if not perfect. Right? He's the greatest man of the East. Did you get it? You hear what he's saying? What's, what is he communicating to us? What is the East? What is the East and West in Jewish theology? Okay, let's go back to the Garden. In the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 2, God creates um, man and woman, and then He plants a garden in the East. You know what I think I've got? Oh, no, I'm not going there. Um, we're having too much fun right now. In the East. So, the Garden of Eden was planted in the east of Eden. So, to get to the garden, which is in the east, I have to walk what direction? What is it? If I'm... Now, wait a minute. If I'm... This happens to me ever so often. It's planted in the east, so that's what it is. For me to get there, I'm coming from the west. Okay? Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other instances of east and west. I believe that Job, uh, no, no, not Job, Cain, he killed his brother. God sent him east. Remember, land of Nod, sent him east. So here's the here's the theology of of east and west. And by the way, uh, Jesus was born. Where did the wise men come from? East. They're traveling west. You come from the east. You're traveling west. So the theology is, and you can check this out as you, and by the way, pick out these instances when you see this, especially in the Old Testament, east and west. Traveling east is moving away from God. Traveling west is moving toward God. And some of it has to do with the way that the sun moves. There's all kinds of, it's a fascinating study of, of moving east and west. But here's the greatest of all in the East. By the way, what do you think that makes Job? Jew or Gentile? Or Jew or non-Jew? Non-Jew. The overwhelming odds are Job is not Jewish. You've got some scholars that take issue with that. You've got a non-Jewish man from the East... Which means that for him to travel, he goes west. West is in the direction of God. So the question becomes then, how does Job know God? Um, He was blameless, upright, he feared Elohim, and he shunned evil. How does Job know about God? And later we're going to find out that he makes he, he, he does sacrifices for his children. Where did he get this information from? Okay, I'll stop. Question, comment, what are you hearing? What do you what do you want to add to the conversation?
You're either bored or confused. Which is it? We don't know the answer. Good. Thank you. I don't know the answer. That's the best answer you can give going through the book of Job. Yes. Yes, he did. And, and what do you? He does say that. We're going to get to that. We're going to talk about that. Could be. Correct. The the storyline in Job, and I think I have some of this. Um, Book of Job is quite possibly the most challenging book in the Bible. And just in the last few minutes, I hope you're able to see that. You're like, oh, there's a lot of questions we're going to have to, to, to ask and wrestle with. Um, it's notoriously difficult to date. When did this take place? Okay, and, and uh, I think I even put some of that under there. Um, and let me explain this. In the um, in the in the narrative form, Job making sacrifices uh, a lot. And by the way, wealth is determined then by um, um, by your agricultural terms, cattle and sheep and land. And so it does appear to be in the time of the patriarchs. But yet, as the story develops in the um, in what we call the, the core, the middle, the, the, the dialogue. Um, the, langu- the Hebrew language sort of changes. It's different. It's a different style um, than, than in the uh, prologue. Um, and so, here's what we know. That nearly every culture has the story of the righteous suffering servant um, who questions, why am I struggling like this? Okay, Egyptian, Sumerian, Babylonian. Um, there is um, the Hebrew Scripture version of Job. There, there, there are multiple versions of even the the ones that we call Job. And that's why part of this is a fascinating study. Um, here's what here's where we were going with this. Uh, it's probably the oldest book in the Bible. Um, because in the in the in the story part, the narrative part, it is ancient Hebrew. Say, so how do you know that? I want to know how they know that. All right, I'm going to give you an example. <clears throat> Tell me about this verse. That's English, by the way. <laughs> what would you say about this verse? You've read this language before. What? Where does that come from? That's King James. Right. So, when I pop this up and you're reading it, you say, Verily, verily, I say to myself, this is not quite how we speaketh in these latter days. Right. So, when you see this, Draw nigh, not hither, put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place whereupon thy standeth is holy ground. You read that, and it's just easy for us in English to go, hmm, That's King James. That's 1611. Where when you read it in our version today, it wouldn't, it wouldn't sound like that. That's what Hebrew scholars are doing. 
you look at the, the, the beginning and the end and they say, that's old. The middle, the speeches, are not quite so old. And in particular, have, anybody know about the three friends plus one in the story? At the very end, the young whoopersnapper shows up, Elihu. And he gives, right? We're going to call him our millennial friend. He's going to give us the millennial view. You old folks don't know what you're talking about. Let me help you out. Right? That's even a later um, version of Hebrew. So here's what we know. And you take this for what it's worth. Again, this remember last week we talked about when we deal with books, we're going to look at the historical side. This is what we know. This is what scholars know. And then you take that and you build in your theology around it. may not make any difference to you at all. It doesn't really make any difference to me. But, um, what was I about to say? I forgot. Oh, Elihu comes along, and, and, and so that's even a, a, a little bit later um, Hebrew. So we don't know. Here, that's it. That's what we... We don't know. Somewhere between the 2nd century, what we call BCE now, and 7th century. I guess we flipped that, right? 7th and 2nd. It's probably when this thing came to its final composition. And so it's a, it's a, it's a, a story that they were, by the way, they were, talking, they were telling this story orally for a long time. If you were, if you were a, a, a Jew practicing the faith, you knew about the story of Job. You could tell it. And by the way, the Jews are some of the best storytellers that have ever lived on this planet. That's how they communicated. They told the stories. They would say, um, a man there was from the land of us. His name was Job. They could just, whew, they could just rattle it off. Questions, comments? Setting is a patriarchal period, wealth described in agricultural terms. Long lifespan of Job, that's also where they say, that kind of fits in the patriarchal age where they were living longer. Um, Yet portions have Aramaic terms which suggest a later date. That's going to be in the in the middle section. Oh, us. Where's us? <laughs> Close to Oz. Yes, Dorothy would know where this is. That's a joke from the Wizard of Oz. No. Best guess. Edom. Because Edom was known as the land of wisdom. Um, but there's some debate on, on that. Um, it's in the east. We talked about this. Garden of Eden, wise men from the east. Moving west is toward God. Moving east is away from God. And so we really don't know exactly where us is. Now, Job. Here's what's also fascinating. Let me explain it this way. The, the Hebrew language... Most, most, no, not most. Ours, we have letters that represent a letter. <laughs> Hebrew is symbols. Right? And they are symbols that in and of themselves represent something. Right? A sunset. Um, a person. 
And so in the Hebrew, what they're doing when they put this language together is they're putting together multiple symbols that have quite often multiple meanings. Say, what in the world is that? A man and a whirlwind and a and a snake. That's his, and that's his name. What does his name mean? Oh, a whirlwind, a snake, and a you know, I don't know what else? A pigeon. But it, but what it does for in writing is it just takes the pictures and the language and the stories and just explodes them into multiple possibilities. So you take you take Job, and, and they're trying to what, what exactly does his name mean? Because names, by the way, are much more important to Jewish folks than, than to us. Every name means something. And there's two possibilities. And this, I think, is fascinating. One could be, his name means, where's my father? Isn't that good? Who's he, who's he talking to the whole time? God. But the other possibility is his name means the hated one or the persecuted one. It's all built into that. One of the things you'll notice if you have a study Bible and you're reading the Old Testament and you'll have a name and you'll have a a letter by the name and you go down to the bottom, you'll see this all over the place. Scholars not quite sure exactly what that is. Not quite sure what that means. Not really sure exactly the, the name or the place. So it's just kind of, kind of unclear. That is because we're dealing with a symbolic language. Don't know. Which again, by the way, Jews have no problems going, I don't know. I don't know. We'll give it my best shot. We're going, to, we're going to wrestle with this, right? Israel means struggle with God, wrestle with God. We're going to get in here. We're going to wrestle. We're going to think. We're going to ask. End of the day, I, I, I'm not sure. Okay? Questions? Comments? Say it again. There are two, and I believe this one is um, uh, somewhat south of Jerusalem, if I'm not mistaken. I haven't looked that up in a while, but I believe it is southeast of Jerusalem. Um, Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Good question. What's that? Yes. Correct. Good. Good question. Um. So here's what you can here's what we have to look forward to in the next coming weeks. Um, chapter one, verse four. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes, and they would invite the three sisters to eat with them. And when a period of feasting had run its course, Job would um, send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice burnt offering for each of them, thinking perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was his regular custom. It wasn't something that he 
just began to, it was a regular custom. And again, the question is, where did he learn that? Then we get to verse 6, and we're, gonna, we're going to be taken up into heaven. And one day the angels, actually the word there is sons of God, they came to present themselves before the Lord, and the Hasatan was there. And he came with them. And the Lord said to Hasatan, where have you come from? And Hasatan answered him from roaming throughout the earth and going back and forth. So we now have this scene in heaven that is quite often referred to, not only in the Hebrew Scriptures, but in other writings, the divine counsel. You ever read about the divine counsel in the Old Testament? You have one case of it here. The Psalms talk about the divine counsel and the sons of God come together before um, Yahweh or Elohim. I never knew anything about this divine counsel that, kept, that, that, that has been meeting. Nobody ever told me this. Sons of God, by the way, we're probably almost 100% sure we're talking about angelic beings. But, it, but there is one particular angel that is mentioned here. And, um, and, and you heard me how I pronounced it, Hasetan. It is, that is basically the Satan. Satan. Satan has meaning. It means adversary. So we have this counsel of God, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to look into this. What, what, do we, what can we find out about divine counsels? Um, that we read about not only in the Old Testament, but in literature um, that was written about this time. Uh, and, and you have this one that walks before Hasitan, and God said, where, where have you been? This Hasitan has been roaming the earth to and fro. Right? He's kind of evading God in his answer. Oh, I've just been coming and going. You know, what's it do you? I'm, I'm going around. And then God, out of the blue, says, Have you considered my servant Job? There's nobody like him. Well, why would God say that? What is, what is God doing? What's that? Sabotage. Huh? <laughs> Setting him up. And so we're going to ask those questions. Who is this character that's before God? And by the way, I'm going to say this again, we are not going to baptize the book of Job. You understand when when I say that what I mean? We're not going to take an ancient document and speed rush it into the New Testament and baptize it. That's, you know, Satan was defeated back there in Job. Christians are baptized in Job. And Jesus died on the cross back in Job. And we... Worship God or worship Jesus, and you understand what I'm saying. We're just quick to do that, and so when I catch you trying to baptize the Book of Job, that's that's kind of just a catchphrase. When I catch you trying to baptize the Book of Job, I'm going to say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute! That is possibly the case, you know, a thousand, two thousand years later." But let's deal with the text in Job. And, and, and the reason I say that is because we want to quick take this character and say that is Satan. Right with a capital S, that's Satan. The writer didn't set it up that way. 
We capitalized it. They didn't. It's just the prosecutor is here. That could be. At the end of the day, that might be that old evil cat. But if it is, anybody got a theological problem with this? If that is the Satan, or if that is Satan in the presence of God, what? What's he doing in the divine council? I thought God could not be around the presence of evil. That's what I was told all my life. So we got a lot of good questions coming. Don't be late next week, okay? Don't be late. That's enough. I'll see you next week.